selection was abruptly halted. The announcement today, who will lead the investigation into sexual harassment claims against New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, as calls for him to resign grow. New fallout from Meghan and Harry's explosive interview, the couple leveling allegations of racism against the royal family. How will the palace respond? Danger in the sky, the alarming thing that's on the rise. And on this International Women's Day, inside the elite all-female unit, taking on ISIS and winning. This is NBC Nightly News with Lester Holt. Good evening and welcome. Americans hoping COVID vaccinations would be a ticket to a more normal life got some encouraging news today from government scientists. The CDC releasing its much-anticipated guidelines for life after full vaccinations, opening the door for family gatherings once thought too risky, even with non-vaccinated people. The demand for answers about what is and isn't safe after shots has soared as the pace of vaccinations increase. Over 60 million Americans have now received at least one dose, while falling hospitalizations are now barely above 40,000, continuing to set a strong symbol of hope. But is that hope well-placed? We'll get the view from spring break locations where caution seems to have gone out with the wind amid warnings of a potential fourth wave. Let's start with Tom Costello. With more than 2 million vaccinations a day, tonight, hope among the vaccinated that life will soon return to normal. Absolutely. Even just to go to the store, it's like you don't have to be as fearful. I'm looking forward to visiting my grandkids. Now we can play games and run around in the backyard. The latest CDC guidance suggests that's a definite possibility. If grandparents have been vaccinated, they can visit their daughter and her family even if they have not been vaccinated, so long as the daughter and her family are not at risk for severe disease. People are considered fully vaccinated two weeks after receiving the single-dose Johnson & Johnson vaccine or after the second dose of the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. The CDC says those who are fully vaccinated can visit others who are fully vaccinated indoors without a mask or social distancing. Visit with unvaccinated people from a single household without a mask if those people are at low risk for COVID, younger with no comorbidities. If vaccinated people are exposed to someone who's COVID positive, there should be no reason to quarantine if they're asymptomatic. So far, the evidence suggests it's unlikely that fully vaccinated people spread the virus. But because that's not definite, the CDC is still urging vaccinated people to wear masks in public like grocery stores, to protect the unvaccinated and encourage others to do the same. We see the light at the end of the tunnel, but we're still in the tunnel. It's not that hard to wear a mask. Just wear a mask. Assume everybody you come in contact with is probably infected with this virus because it's, it's possible, and, uh, and protect yourself. And with spring break season now underway, the CDC continues to advise against travel for now. Therefore, everyone, whether vaccinated or not, should continue to avoid medium and large size gatherings as well as non-essential travel. Tom, well, about 10% of the population has been vaccinated. I know there's great concern about high levels of the virus nationwide. Yeah, nearly 60,000 new cases every single day, 2,000 deaths every single day, and the new variants are in every state in the country. So the CDC says the risk remains very high, Lester. All right, Tom, thanks. Let's bring in our senior medical correspondent, Dr. John Torres. Now, John, given the little we know about COVID and the vaccine, what's the risk of indoor gatherings, especially for kids and teens? 
Lester, it depends. If we're talking moderate to large indoor gatherings, especially where people are not wearing masks or social distancing, even for teens or kids, the risks are high of catching and spreading coronavirus. But if we're talking about small private gatherings, like say with grandparents who are fully vaccinated, that risk is low. It basically comes down to the fact that we know the vaccine does a good job at protecting you from getting COVID. What we don't know is how good of a job it does at preventing you from spreading the virus to others, including the more vulnerable. Now, should people get tested even after being vaccinated? Actually, Lester, no. The CDC has said even if exposed to COVID-19, if you're fully vaccinated, you don't need testing, you don't need quarantining unless you develop symptoms. Dr. John Torres, thank you. Make a plan so you'll be ready when it's your turn. Our state-by-state guide will help you navigate when and where you're able to receive your vaccination. Visit planyourvaccine.com for more. With the positive signs we're seeing, there are also new warnings tonight from health officials as more of the country reopens and spring break moves into full swing. Here's Miguel Almaguer. The harsh and the pandemic. Tonight, these are the spring break images from Florida's bars and beaches, causing alarm for health care officials. I see so many freaking people, and honestly, everyone's like almost piled up on top of each other. Florida also hosting a massive biker rally as local health officials near Tampa say a low number of new COVID cases were connected to the Super Bowl, though they concede significant undercounting may have occurred. As Wyoming joins Mississippi and Texas in ending face mask mandates, crowds with small children in Idaho burn theirs, large unruly crowds partying in Colorado many travel to regions where it's easier to gather. They are bringing their events to Texas. And that poses a serious risk. On Sunday alone, a spike in travel. 1.2 million Americans flying to cities like Atlanta for festivities like the NBA All-Star Game. Every time that there is a surge in travel, we have a surge in cases in this country. Nationwide, hospitalizations have fallen about 70%, allowing even hard-hit states like California to move towards reopening. Next month, a reduced number of fans can attend Major League Baseball games and theme parks in the states hit hardest by the pandemic. But the reopening won't look anything like this, as many Americans begin to emerge from a year of isolation. Miguel Almaguer, NBC News. In just 60 seconds, what happened in the courtroom today in the trial of a former police officer charged in George Floyd's death and reaction to those stunning claims by Meghan Markle and Prince Harry? Tensions are high in Minneapolis with jury selection delayed in the murder trial of Derek Chauvin, the former police officer charged in the killing of George Floyd. With more, here's Gabe Gutierrez. Today, marchers took to the streets of a heavily fortified Minneapolis for what was scheduled to be the first day of jury selection in the murder trial of Derek Chauvin, the former officer who prosecutors say knelt on George Floyd's neck for about nine minutes. Is this case about just George Floyd? No, this case is about the representation of all black men in the United States of America. If, if, if they don't value his life, they don't value my life the same way. But the judge abruptly sent potential jurors home for the day, while both sides argued over whether to add a third-degree murder charge against Chauvin. The prosecution wants to delay jury selection until that question is answered. Right now, Chauvin is charged with second-degree murder and manslaughter. 
court filings, an attorney has argued the former officer used reasonable force against Floyd. The defense is also expected to point to toxicology reports that show Floyd had fentanyl and methamphetamine in his system when he died, drawing outrage from Floyd's family. His sister was in the courtroom today. What we are here for is justice. That's what we need, justice. He needs to be held accountable for his actions. And that's what my family wants to see. The judge now says he plans to start jury selection tomorrow, unless an appeals court tells him otherwise. Lester? All right, Gabe, thanks. New York's attorney general announced late today who will lead the independent investigation into sexual harassment claims against Governor Andrew Cuomo as he rebuffs calls to resign. Here's Ann Thompson. The fact New York Governor Andrew Cuomo hemorrhaging political support tonight trying to govern as five women accuse him of inappropriate behavior and federal investigators dig into claims his administration hid COVID nursing home deaths. By one count, a bipartisan group of some 50 New York lawmakers calling for Cuomo to step down. Many Democrats, including State Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins, saying for the good of the state, Governor Cuomo must resign. But he's not listening. I was elected by the people of the state. I wasn't elected by politicians. Uh, I'm not going to resign because of allegations. Even on the national stage, there is no defense of Cuomo. From a current senator... The allegations from each of these women are serious. And a former one. I'm very confident that the Attorney General will conduct an independent, uh, comprehensive investigation, and I think we should all wait to uh, see what those results are. Can he still govern? The lion is wounded, but he's still a lion, and he's got governmental power. Late today, Attorney General Tish James naming her investigators to look into the allegations of sexual harassment. Former acting U.S. Attorney June Kim and employment discrimination lawyer Ann Clark will lead the team. The Attorney General says they will give New Yorkers the answers they deserve. And a source close to the matter says the investigation will continue even if Cuomo steps down. Lester? And Thompson, thanks. Let's turn now to the mounting problem at the southern border. New figures showing the number of unaccompanied migrant children detained there has tripled in the past two weeks to more than 3,000. The Biden administration is considering housing some at Virginia's Fort Lee. There is new fallout from Prince Harry and Meghan Markle's explosive interview with Oprah Winfrey, watched by 17 million people in the U.S. Keir Simmons is in London. Tonight, silence from the royal family after Harry and Meghan's bombshell allegation that racist comments were made before the birth of their first son. He won't be given security. He's not going to be given a title. And also concerns and conversations about how dark his skin might be when he's born. What? There are several conversations. There's a conversation with you, with Harry, about how dark your baby is going to be? Potentially, and what that would mean or look like. Prince Harry confirming the allegation. That conversation I'm never going to share. Um, but at the time, at the time it was awkward, I was a bit shocked. Today in the UK, many stunned. Really hurtful to a lot of people, to be honest. As a black woman, she didn't get it very easy within the royal family. Meghan says she became so depressed, she asked for help. 
I just didn't want to be alive anymore. I said that I needed to go somewhere to get help, and I was told that I couldn't, that it wouldn't be good for the institution. So were you thinking of harming yourself? Were you having suicidal thoughts? Yes. This was very, very clear. Wow. She says Harry was her only support. If you zoom in, what I see is how tightly his knuckles are gripped around mine. You can see the whites of our knuckles because we are smiling and doing our job, but we're both just trying to hold on. Contrary to press reports, they say they never blindsided the queen. I've never blindsided my grandmother. I have too much respect for her. Harry describes a strained relationship with the British press and members of the royal family, including his father, who he says at one point wouldn't pick up his calls. As for his relationship with Prince William... The relationship is... space. One royal historian tonight tells us the palace will be in crisis mode. How damaging is the incident? I think it's very damaging, actually. Uh, they've made very serious allegations, primarily, of course, of racism in the royal family. Oprah says Prince Harry told her the unnamed royal who made the comments about skin colour is not the Queen or Prince Philip. Esther? All right, Keir Simmons in London tonight, thanks. Despite the dramatic drop in flights due to the pandemic, the FAA says there was an alarming increase in laser strikes against pilots last year. In 2020, the number of incidents rose to nearly 7,000, the highest since 2016. Coming up next, controlling the pandemic, one country's remarkable success. On this International Women's Day, we want to take you to Iceland, where the Prime Minister has successfully steered her country through the COVID crisis. Sarah Harmon is there. It's the first stop for all travelers arriving in this stunningly beautiful country. So we've just landed in Iceland. It's passport control and then straight to the PCR test. A COVID PCR test required at the airport. This tube is what you're going to need for the test. And another test five days later part of Iceland's highly effective response to the pandemic, keeping dangerous new variants out so far while still keeping borders open. And now Iceland is the first to introduce vaccine passports for citizens. You need to open up your borders in some way, and we have been trying to do that in a scientific way. As Dr. Fauci warns Americans about the risks of relaxing the rules too soon, Iceland is open for business, including gyms, restaurants, and hair salons. Leading the country's widely praised efforts, one of the youngest female leaders in the world. It's also so important that there are women who are making decisions. 45-year-old Prime Minister Katrin Jakobsdottir, who told us keeping kids in school was key to her. This was the first thing that we said we would try to keep them as open as possible. We were also thinking about the effect this was going to have on women, not just on children, but on women. Absolutely. On gender equality families, on children, and on the labor market. The country has advantages in battling COVID, a small population, and relative isolation. Their success helped lure American Brent Ozar, who now lives here. I feel so much safer in Iceland. What could be a hopeful glimpse of the future. Sarah Harmon, NBC News, Reykjavik, Iceland. In a far different battle, the remarkable effort by women in the fight against ISIS in Syria. Andrea Mitchell on their life-changing success. They started as young women, some still in their teens. Raised in a world where girls were forbidden to play soccer, go to university, or choose their own husbands. Transformed into snipers and battlefield commanders. 
Syrian Kurdish women in 2014, battling ISIS in house-to-house combat in the city of Kobani, defending their people from being kidnapped, raped, tortured, and killed. Women like Nauruz, who became known to the U.S. commanders and her women's militia as General Nauruz. Had you ever thought that you would become a warfighter? We were dragged into the war in a place where there was no choice for a decent life, especially for women. They took over women's mind, body, and everything else. If injured and surrounded, some blew themselves up with grenades to avoid being captured. One of the most fearless was Azima, whom Richard Engler met in Kobani at the height of the battle. Now we run, she says. Swashbuckling, but outnumbered and outgunned, she was later wounded before journalist Gail Lamont, who tells their story in The Daughters of Kobani. They shot her. They hit her nearly in her heart, and yet she gets out of bed at the end of the battle for Kobani, when ISIS is handed its first loss, and she makes sure she's standing there to say, women were a part of this defeat for ISIS. Three years later, alongside the U.S., they were driving ISIS out of its territorial capital, Raqqa, and by 2019, declaring victory over ISIS, earning high praise from the former CENTCOM commander. How would you describe the women fighters? They were well-motivated, they were fit, uh, they uh, rose to the occasion, they were courageous. Defeating ISIS has earned them new respect from their own men. How has it changed for women? They are able to claim their rights in every aspect of life. They are able to claim their rights in political settings and family life. But she says there are still those who think like ISIS. So the women of Kobani are still in the fight. Andrea Mitchell, NBC News, Washington. Just an amazing account. Up next, I'll introduce you to the doctor with a camera on the front lines of the pandemic. Finally, I want to show you some different angles of the struggle we've all been through this past year through the lens of an ER doctor who showed me how he has chronicled the effort. No PPE can mask their intention to deny COVID-19 another human life. Behind the camera, ER doc Scott Kovner set out to document how his hospital, L.A. County USC Medical Center, has experienced the pandemic. The patients, the providers, and how important it was to kind of share the realities of what was going on and how people were suffering and coping and trying to survive. The photos capture the limits of intervention. There's a photo. Um, it shows a tray and, and what I imagine to be part of an intubation kit. For patients, it means it's kind of the last phase of treatment. There's a lot of conversations where I and my colleagues have been the last faces that you know our patients see before we put them to sleep and put them on a machine and, and they may never wake up. Humanity fills Kovner's lens. One of the pictures shows someone holding a hand of a patient. It's the one medicine that like supersedes all science and all education and anything that we do. Just being there and having some human closeness in a time of total isolation has uh, has never been more meaningful. Is there a moment or a photo that's been most impactful to you? A photo of one of my good friends and colleagues, uh, Dr. Molly Grissini. She's leading a team trying to uh, resuscitate a patient who's just suffered a cardiac arrest from COVID as she stares out onto the cardiac monitor during a pulse check where the team pauses to see if their efforts have been successful in restarting a patient's heart. Just in her eyes, the, the look of both fear and hope and pure vulnerability is, is something that 
strips down to the core of what we do every day. Dr. Kobner himself fell ill to COVID last year. It totally changed not just the, the type of compassion that I had, but also the intensity and perspective of it. A perspective he honors with passion and focus. A place we rarely see in images we don't easily forget. That's nightly news for this Monday. Thank you for watching, everyone. I'm Lester Holt. Please take care of yourself and each other.